This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by One Heat Minute Productions, the podcast feed that you are listening to right now. We have some great stuff happening on the feed. The first one that I want to talk about is Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice has been broken down scene by scene, 45 episodes, November of 2019 all the way to the 31st of October with our host, Travis Woods. It has just finished its 45-episode run, some incredible guests, some lengthy and in-depth and exhaustive conversations, some revelations, and our final show, the 45th episode, which I'm a guest, Blake Howard, who you're talking to and listening to today, um, uh, is up now. It's a victory lap, a clip show that features some of our incredible guests. It features our great narrator, Kat Corbett. It features Travis and myself and some revelations. And look, we would love if you could check it out and share and rate and review the series based on listening to either All the President's Minutes or Income Advice. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get on to this episode of All the President's Minutes. Richard Nixon is now the guy who, when you see photos of him, even at his prime, you cannot believe he was ever president of the United States. He seemed to me to be the kid in the schoolyard whom all the other kids picked on, and I identified with that. Who was Nixon? Uh, Nixon. Nixon was a party guy, an animal. You know, to me, Nixon was a caricature, unfortunately. And I, man, I had my Nixon down. You know, 10 years old, walking around the house, you know, he just... I am not a crook. Now, I have a much more complex view of the man and his presidency. President Nixon created a brand new federal department, the Environmental Protection Agency. The question of who is Richard Nixon is almost uh, imponderable. I, uh, I looked at him as one of, really one of the great minds that has ever really been in the presidency. He, he had achieved some extraordinary breakthroughs. I mean, his opening to China, detente with the Soviet Union. The sad truth is, I think Nixon would, by today's standards, be considered maybe a conservative Democrat, maybe, at, at some levels, a radical leftist. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me today is a writer about town about the virtual town of, of australian publications um you probably have seen his work at the curb that's where i started reading his work but he's written for sites like sbs movies indigenous x nitv pedestrian he's also an emerging producer and an independent writer himself um, that's creating some stuff and uh, a couple of things that I learned about him and researching him before I got him on the show is that he loves Jean-Claude Van Damme and Any Given Sunday. So these are two massive ticks. They have nothing to do with all the president's men, but they have massive ticks on an individual level of a person I know that I'm going to get along with. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome Travis Akbar. Trav Akbar to the show, mate. Thank you so much for being a part of all the president's minutes. Hi, Blake. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. So first question right out of the gate. Have you seen this movie before? Do you like it? Do you have a relationship with it? I, 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 as I said to you just before we kicked off recording, I genuinely love the new voices that we get on this show every single week and the repeat people to come back. It's just my favorite people to talk to. But with yourself, having read some of your stuff and especially with Curb, which covers pretty much exclusively or, or tends to focus on a lot of Aussie stuff, which is why I read it. Um, 
uh, and what, why I read your opinion. I, I don't genuinely know if you've, if you're like a, a guy who's uh, into this movie, likes this movie, had a relationship with it before. Tell me all about it. Yeah, look, all the presidents, man. Um, I think 10 years ago, if you'd asked me the same question, I would not have been interested <laughs> in watching it um, at all. But, you know, in the last six or seven years, I've become pretty politically minded. Um, and when, you know, I think, I don't even know if I'd heard of it before you actually mentioned we we're going to, you know, before we mentioned that it was going to be the one we're focusing on. So, yeah, I checked it out and I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Um, one of my favorite directors and writers is Oliver Stone. Um, and it really reminded me of JFK in that sense, even though it's older, but, um, yeah, just really investigative, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. They've, they've, those two movies have got a great kinship. They've actually, it's actually really funny in the last little bit around some of the deep throat stuff in the underground car parks, we've been talking a lot about like X Donald Sutherland's character in JFK. He's just come up a couple of times and it's just like, there's, um, whatever you think about JFK and like the momentum of the movie people talk about, but I think that in, there's, there's a lot of scenes in this, in this film or the president's men that remind me of great scenes in JFK. And one of my favorite scenes in JFK and knowing that you're an Oliver Stone guy is that wonderful scene where Costner is with his crew of guys and he's pointing out all the buildings, this like all the, yeah. all the intelligence agencies around. And that feels like a very, all the president's many in scene, like as in, this is the entire intelligence community. Do you think these people don't know what's happening? And it's almost like when you watch all the president's men in even some of the scenes that precede the minute that we're talking about, like Woodward, Bob Redford's character is literally coming to the realization that, Oh shit, the whole, <laughs> all the guys who are pulling the strings, these aren't just buildings, right. With, you know, residential buildings. These are all of the buildings that house all of the intelligence community, all of the engines of power. And mm. it's like very similar in that regard. I think they've got that much, much that same sort of, you know, I don't know whether it's DNA or energy, but that conspiratorial thing. Um, yeah, I can yeah. definitely see if, if you've watched JFK and like it, I feel like that this, you know, president's men is kind of like, it's like the much more it's, it's JFK is very sort of objective and, uh, um, uh, much more level headed cousin. It's not quite as wild, but JFK's wildness is exactly kind of what, what you're in for when you're watching it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It also sort of brought, more recently to like spotlight. Yes. Um, that I thought, you know, I thought that was incredible. And, um, I don't know. A lot of people don't know this one, but kill the messenger with, uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Um, I had, I have yeah. seen that. I, I, again, these are, um, this is what happens when you do a journalism movie project is like people like throw good ones out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like I haven't, I haven't seen that in ages since seeing it, but yeah, I've definitely seen it. But spotlight spotlight is, um, hugely indebted to this movie so you know those yeah. they seem to be very much operating on that same thing and as much as um woodward's kind of this like waspy outsider like he's from middle america and he's coming into um like he's coming into washington dc i think the major difference with spotlight is that like real boston specificity like everyone's from yeah. there yeah you know i think yeah. that that's one cool reason which everyone's from there and they all then feel personally culpable for the situation, like what, what they yeah. start to uncover, which is, you know, what I guess 
maybe, maybe some people found it grating at the time. And I probably was one of those people, but like, that's when I rewatch it, I'm actually really like it. I'm like savoring. Oh, this is very like when you put the culpability on the whole town for like turning a blind eye to whatever this is, or like turning their ears yeah. off to not hear a confession. Very cool. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So you're an action, you're, you know, especially your early love of movies, I guess you and I much the same probably, grew up around the same time, loved sort of action movies. I know you're a bit of a JCVD guy and I definitely was that too. But like when you're, when you've sort of been going back and now as a writer yourself, like does, does the new Hollywood era or even like the Aussie new wave, which happened at almost the same time concurrently, like do those movies come back into your head? Do you go back and look at those for inspiration and those sorts of things? Cause I, I feel like, you know, um, looking at some of the stuff that your production company is working on, like it's genre based. And I think Australian for a lot of times, like Australian produced stuff is like scared of genre until we make incredible genre movies. And then like, they're <laughs> like, Oh, that was awesome. And then they just walk away from it. And you're like, wait, no, go back, go back to that genre movie, go back to Mad Max, go back to, you know, post-apocalyptic movies, go back to those genre movies that kind of, I don't know the, the essence of what we produce. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I love genre probably more than anything. Um, just you know, it's exciting, and I think, uh, you know, film's first purpose is to entertain. Yes. Um, if it doesn't ent- like, and and business wise, if it doesn't entertain, it's not going to make money, which means it's not going to get made. Um, so that's that's really your first responsibility as like, as a writer who intends to get stuff produced. Um, so, yeah. So I, that's probably one reason I really love genre, but um. But also, you know, the genre that I'm writing isn't, you know, it still has a lot of political stuff in it at times and, um, you know, I'm placing as many Indigenous characters in it as I can in just, you know, in everyday roles, not stereotypical ones as well. Um, So it's a genre with with purpose, I guess, in in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, the Presidents is a genre movie too, man. Like in my in my mind, you know, I, I don't I I I'm not a critic who ever thinks genre is a dirty word. Like, um, you know, one of my favorite Australian movies the last few years is Goldstone, which is the sequel yeah, to Mystery yeah. Road, which is like as cop detective noir yeah. genre. Like, tick them off the list, whichever one you feel like yeah. arguing that it is. Um, and that is incredibly loaded with, um, you know, political issues and, you know, sort of the political turmoil that's happening in our lives and allegories to, you know, just the inherent corruption of, you know, different, the whole political machine in the country and money making and, and like as old as, as old as, uh, you know, Chinatown, as old as them controlling the water in LA, you know, is, is mining, um, is mining in, in Australia, basically mining for gold, mining for the color, um, in whatever that manifests, whatever it's steel or, you know, whatever, or, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that there are so many genre films that could learn a lot of lessons from all the president's men, um, as in, you know, just structure, like ultimately it kind of has that sort of odd couple structure. It's written by William Goldman, who's one of the greatest screenwriters of all time obviously wrote butch cast in sundance kid princess bride you know many other great films but those though this trio is probably my favorite of his three um and yeah i i I think it's um and this movie makes no bones about like how it got made um which is like you cast robert redford the biggest movie star in the world in the lead role that's how you get the movie made 
And then you, who oh, else yeah. do you cast? You cast the second biggest movie star in the world, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> like that's how the movie got made because it wasn't going to get made, you know, just being a political movie without that, you know, that yeah. sort of Hollywood glamour. Like you, you, there is a there is an entertaining thing, and I think this movie entertains um, and keeps you engaged as much as anything else. It definitely does. It's got great dialogue um, and great performances. So I think that's always going to be a winner, um, whether whether it's genre or not. Um, if you're if you're writing something that engages people, you know you're going to keep them in their seats. Yeah. And how did you find it? Because this is the first time you're watching it. Um, a few folk who I've talked to where it was not where it was their first viewing and it, they weren't super familiar with it. The kind of bookends of history. Uh, a few times, a, a few folk I've talked to on the show have said like the bookends of history, like what happens before and what happens after are kind of like yeah. too big for the movie. They're like, they, they, they speak yeah, for themselves. Yeah. Um, how did you find it as, you know, as an Aussie guy who's living um, uh, like me around my age, like I think we only knew Nixon as I'm not a crook, like, and maybe we're, you know, the Simpsons taught us that he was a crook before we even probably yeah. knew, yeah. you know, there was how would we know American presidential history right from a young age? But then as you get a bit older, you start to get familiar with it, especially you as a JFK guy. Um, like what, how did you find that experience of just like being dropped sort of media res into this world, into this, into this, uh, into this conspiracy? Yeah. Firstly, um, to, to comment on Nixon, my first experience with him would have been, like year two, we're watching a movie at school. It's Point Break, and there's that scene where <laughs> I'm not a crook on the on the bank, you know, on the bank teller stand, and I hadn't just had no idea what the hell that was about. And <laughs> it was a long time before I realised that's what that was, but um, but yeah, no, look, I again just my um, probably my transformation as just a person and my beliefs um, really helped me just ease into it nicely and and really really enjoyed its flow and its structure, as you said earlier. Um, and, you know, it's a bit of a thrill. It's like a thriller for me because I'm into that stuff, you know? Yes. Um, for a lot of other people, it's probably, you know, it's just a slow movie. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely got that slow burn. But when you're really interested in it, you know, you sit there and you're like, oh, you know, what's going to happen next? <laughs> you know, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm I'm working at the moment and you know, just comment on how you said like that one this one story with two massive like like uh, a prologue and you know and like an end like afterwards and stuff and I'm working on a script at the moment with um an American writer named Steph Lady. So he's he's a veteran of Hollywood. He wrote the he wrote the um Frankenstein that Robert De Niro was in. Yeah. Um, he wrote the first draft for Eddie Murphy's Dr. Doolittle and he's like, he's done all this stuff, but, um, but what, you know, just the stuff I've learned from him really helped me understand this film as well. Like, you know, the, the, the dialogue, the, how, the, how good the, it was. The, the practicalities of working with a screenwriting veteran and crafting mm. stuff and then actually seeing it play out. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's like it gives me a new appreciation for film. Like I, I never used to care about dialogue. Eh? Like, I was, <laughs> like if it was good dialogue, great. But if it was just you know blowing shit up and <laughs> and not much talking, you know, like a Van Damme movie is, then I yeah, then whatever, man. Like it's just good fun. But yeah, it's really 
working with him is really challenging me to to open myself up to that side of it. Yes. Um, and but yeah, like I said, it all really makes me appreciate dialogue so much more. Well, the set pieces um, in like, the set pieces in this film are dialogue set pieces. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You know, like, like, it, and and they can almost have like escalating action beats, so to speak, but they're all dialogue. Mm. Like the scene, in fact, that we're talking about right now. So, you know, if you guys are listening and this is the first time you listen to the show, welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of it. We're at the 114th minute. We're in the newsroom uh, of the Washington Post. We've just seen a couple of scenes where a reporter, Sally Aitken, um, has talking to the boys about um, a, 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 let's say a private conversation uh, with Ken Clawson, who is currently working as a, like one of the White House communications officers who, who bragged about um, writing a letter that ultimately helped to torpedo a political opponent's, um, a political opponent's campaign. And like it famously imploded it and he bragged to her about it. And so it's first her telling Bernstein, that's like the one action beat. The next bit is Bernstein with Sally telling Woodward and then Woodward challenging her. The next beat is them calling him. The beat after that is Sally calling him. And now we've rolled into that where it's escalated all the way where Clawson is trying to get his clout to try and influence that this story doesn't come out for his own thing. And it's like, these are little mini levels of like an action scene of escalating things, but it's all happening beautifully and being layered. Obviously in the reality of the story, it's all sort of true. Obviously they're taking that dramatic license, but the, the, the drama is this escalating levels and it's like playing out like an action sequence. And you just like, it's, this guy's trying to go through all the layers to get to the boss and the boss is Ben Bradley and Ben Bradley whips his ass and that's what needs to happen right now. And so it's just this beautiful escalating thing, which you can kind of see. And um, I also like, you know, talking to you, Trav right now, because as a person who sort of appreciates an action film, I would never think at face value that you would dig this, you know, as in like, you know, if you just said, Hey, Oh, oh do you love John wick? Well, you're going to love all the president's men. Like, it's just not, I'm not going to recommend you many Pacula movies um, for action. Cause that's not kind of not what the guy, the guy that he was. Um, oh, except maybe a movie called comes a horseman, which stars James Khan and James Fonda and Jason Robards. And it's pretty much like that, uh, that huge Kevin Costner show. What's that show? Um, uh, uh, Yellowstone. Yeah, it's like Yellowstone. It's like pretty much like yeah. a movie little, uh, a movie one shot of like a Yellowstone episode. Um, basically, is a is a pretty good one. But yeah, so it's interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, let's dive into the minute right now because I know we're just chatting through lots of different elements of it. But um, I think this is the best time for us uh, to watch it together. Trav and I are going to watch the minute along. You guys who are listening are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and unpack the coolness of Jason Robards and, uh, and the panic of Ken Clawson on the other end of the line. Misunderstanding or confusion. Uh, I can yeah, uh, slow, slow, yep. slow down, Ken. You sound now, frazzled. Ben, uh, please, listen. Now, if you're going to refer to that alleged conversation with Sally Aiken, you can't print that it took place in our apartment. I have a wife and a family and a dog and a cat. A wife and a family and a dog and a cat. Right, Ken, right. Yeah. Uh, Ken, I don't want to print that you were in Sally's apartment. Thank God. I just want to know what you said in Sally's apartment. Hello. Bernstein, I just got a tip from our FBI source. The secret cash fund financed Segretti. Jesus. All right, now listen. 
Chapin hired Segretti. We know that. And we know Haldeman hired Chapin. Haldeman has to be the fifth name to control the fund. Sloan knows. Now, that is an action-packed minute in the context of this movie because you are bouncing from scenes. You're in the editor's office. You got great cuts to like fade to black, burn scenes office. These guys debriefing at Macca's. I love so much in this movie. These guys find themselves at Macca's like on the road, constantly knocking on doors and end up having meetings in Macca's, just stuffing their face with fries being like, what are we going to do to strategize this moment? But it's a pretty freaking action packed and very cool scene. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, like I said, it just goes from like nothing to like something straight away. Um, you know, it's, Oh, what's who's the character that they're talking to? It's the uh It's Ken Ken Clawson is his name. Yeah, actually I'm gonna see if I can find the actor's name. This is again, this movie is loaded with so many people who you only know by their voice because they're talking on the phone yeah. and that requires the person who's acting to like be that person. I'm gonna see if I can find it. It's Ken Clawson. He's a in the communications department of the White House. Uh let me see. Oh, we've got John Mitchell's voice. I can't find it at the second, but yeah, no, keep going. It's Ken Clawson, the person they're talking to. I'll see if I can find the actor's voice. Yeah, I, you know, just the way he's trying to convince the uh, editor not to not to publish his whereabouts and, <laughs> you know, the depths that he's willing to go to in mentioning his dog and his cat. Like, <laughs> you know, that's, I got a wife and a child and a dog and a cat. Like, this, it's so like, I don't know, just it's, you can say a wife and a kid, fair enough, but. You add in the pets, you, you know, it just sort of gives that bit of extra nous to it. He's, he's, um, he's painting the little perfect picture of his yeah. life, Trav. He's painting that perfect yeah, little, exactly. he's a communications officer. He's trying to sell it to Bradley. He's trying to say, I've got a, fa- a wife and a family and a dog and a cat. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living exactly the American right. dream. I couldn't possibly be <laughs> in a beautiful woman played by Penny Fuller, Sally Aitken's apartment, having a drink bragging exactly. to, to get her to sleep with me potentially um I'm, I'm a family man the american dream such a good point to, to point out. Like, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what he's trying to sell that's cool. um and, and just and bradley i love he's he's panicked and brad bradley there is nothing you know you know i i know i know you're a dad and a family man too and there's nothing probably worse than when someone is angry or upset, like, you know, going like, calm down. And there's so, something so cool about Bradley being like, oh, Ken, you sound frazzled. Like, that's not yeah. going to make you feel any less frazzled. That's just going to, no, like, pan- make you panic and shitting the bricks. Like, oh, God, like, what what do I need to do in this moment? Like, what is happening? What what, what can I possibly yeah. do? Yeah, and he's, he's just got no hope, really. Um, <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day... Um, but yeah, um, and just the just the performance of Jason Robards as Ben Bradley as well. Um, you know, just cool, calm, and collected. You know, it's um, it's great. You know, not with, that not that the characters talking to can see him, but with with with, he- for us. with heavy emphasis on the cool, like he's yeah. just feet are up, his shoes his shoes leather's worn, like he's he's a guy who's usually on his feet. So when he's sitting at his desk, his feet are up, his tires are skew if, and he's just like. I'm not going to print where you were when you said this, but I'm going to print what you said. And like the confidence and mm-hmm. it's just that su- the subtleness of the turn in his voice for me. Cause he just kind of slightly, he's like, I don't care where this conversation happened. 
I care what you said. And yeah. like, like that is so definitive without being like, he doesn't have to ram at home. He's cool enough and sure enough that like he's, he's nailed him. Um, and what's really cool is you get the reverse shot onto Woodward and Bernstein. And so Woodward and uh, Bernstein are looking and enjoying, it's like, they're enjoying the show. They're like you and I right now. We are Woodward and Bernstein. They are us just watching the robot show in the beginning segment of this minute because he, he's, and Hoffman, Hoffman as Bernstein is just having a blast. And it's just yeah. one of those, it's one of the coolest things that I, I, I legitimately don't know if it's a fuck up or whether it's, whether it was intended or whether they'd just done multiple takes, but Hoffman's cigarette drops a bunch of ash on the couch and would, um, and Redford as Woodward like wipes the ash off the couch. Like he, he like instinctively goes like, dude, like, he doesn't say it because in the moment Bradley's on the phone, but he like gets it and wipes the ash off the couch. Yeah. And it's just such a cool thing. Like you're having such a fun time watching Bradley skewer this guy. You can't even notice to like not ash your cigarette on his couch as freaking editor of the paper. He, um, and it's just like that. This scene kind of has it all for me. It's got all the things I love about this movie. It's got that kind of delicate, but essential manipulation it's got that great organic chemistry between the two guys. Like, and yeah. also that, you know, some, some of the fun of this movie is watching people have conversations. And now the characters in the movie are watching people have conversations and they're having fun. Like me and all of the guests on this show have had so much fun so far. Um, but yeah, man, I, I can't get enough of, uh, I can't get enough of the chemistry. I can't get enough of watching these two young, you know, you talked about working with an experienced screenwriter. I can't get enough of that. Like looking at the way that Bradley handles the conversation and manages that person's panic to get out of him what he knows he's going to get out of him. I just love every bit of it. Yeah, it's like, you know, he's got that I've already got him attitude, you know, like it doesn't really matter what happens here, I've got him. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, he, he portrays that over the phone in a sense. And, yeah, the character just doesn't, has no choice but to really give into it and, and say, all right, we publish this bit of it, you know. Um, <laughs> As, and as for the ash, you know, I feel like that would have been intentional, you know. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I really think it would have been. Um, as you, as you, you know, pointed out, Dustin and Robert Redford are just they're as much as the audience as we are at at that moment. And I think you know everyone knows that as as an audience member at times there are times when you get sucked in. Yes. You know, and you just you would forget it. But Redford's character is a little bit more um, on the ball, I feel, than how Hoffman's was. You know, he he works with a bit more. Um, uh, he works a bit quicker and a bit harder than than Hoffman's character does. I think. I think. Bern, yeah, I think Bernstein. You know, true to life of the guys, um, Bernstein is definitely a more prodigiously talented dude. Like he's probably a better, the better writer, like pure writer of both guys. Yeah. And so, in that way, I think that that's what they lent on, and also. He's definitely the more like, especially his, his office manner. He's so shaggy and he does smoke everywhere. And it's like almost the through line yeah. of like, you, he, he, is there any way you don't smoke? Like, and in this moment he's smoking and, 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 and Wood and Woodward is definitely the guy who's like noticing that he's smoking all the time and, and, and would, you know, like he's more concerned about what the editor thinks of him than Bernstein. Bernstein's kind of like, I've been doing this for 16 years and, Woodward's like, I've been yeah. only doing it for nine months. So, but yeah, no, it's funny that you think that it was intentional. I, I kind of, you know, the fun part about writing that film or talking about film on like a, such a film obsessed podcast, such as this one 
is I'm genuinely not surprised if it's unintentional or intentional um, because ultimately the intention is in the editing room when they get a couple of coverage, like they might get one or two, three takes of that coverage and that one happens or it could have happened in rehearsal and they're like, Oh, we like that. We're going to do it again. Like, you know, and so you kind of never know whether it's there, but, but I kind of, I don't know. There's a, there's a few, there are a few flubs of lines and stuff that actually happened in takes and they kept them in the movie. Um, and that okay. was, um, so you might've noticed in the conversation where, uh, Woodward's on the phone much earlier, definitely covered in the episode, but it's always fun to remind people of like the best scenes of the movie where he goes, does anyone speak English? I mean, does anyone speak Spanish? Because he's speaking to someone who speaks Spanish and that he didn't mean to do that line. It's not in the script. Yeah. So like, again, your first time watching, I'm now in the hundreds of thousands, I feel. Um, but it's, um, but it's, it's just that magic. It's just that kind of magic moment. Um, it's just that kind of magic. I think, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know if it's real or imagined that intention, but I think it's just, it, it really works. Um, and the other thing I, wanted to talk to you about is because we get to then we get to hang on that big sort of cliffhanger of like, I, I just want to hear what you said. And the inference, as you said before, is like, we've got him, but then we fade to black, like, or sorry, we cut to black rather. And we go into Bernstein's Washington apartment. We get to see a little bit of the aspect. We get to see the yellow walls. We get to see his table. We get to see out of the house. He walks in, but I kind of love that Bernstein's coming home. He's got all this stuff in his bag. And then, just when you think these guys are allowed to even go home and rest, you're picking up the phone. Hello. Hey, Bernstein. Yeah. It's got to be this fifth guy. It's like, it's such a cool little scene for me or the back end of this scene because it's just kind of like further ramming home that these guys eat, sleep, breathe this case. Like there is nothing else that is in their life at the moment that is nearly as important as this thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, that's, that's their purpose. That's their living to, to expose stories. And unfortunately the stories aren't being told like from a book or from a film or anything like that. They've got to, they've got to create them. And unfortunately when you're doing that, you just got to, you got to be on the fly, man. You got to do it when it's, when it's there. When it's there. Yeah. When the getting's good, yeah. you got to get it. Um, Gosh, sorry, I'm getting a bit of a cough going. No, that's okay. That's okay. We'll cut. We'll, Oh, let me write this yeah. down. Cut that out. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a really good thing. And then, literally, I don't know how many minutes that have even done this. Like three different settings. We got the and, and like multiple camera setups. We we jump from Bradley's office. We jump into Bernstein's apartment. And for a movie that spends a stack of time um, having long conversation scenes and being like really giving you the atmosphere of different spaces, you then bounce bang, bang, bang. And then they're back in Macca's. Like there's been one other time they've been to McDonald's where they were completely despondent and I didn't know if they could go on. And now they're back just having another burger. I don't know if this is product placement. I don't know if they needed a bit of extra cash from McDonald's. I don't think so. Cause it's definitely not obvious, but it feels very true to these guys. Like of course they're eating fast food because there's literally yeah. nowhere else they're going to be eating. I was, yeah, I was going to say the same point, you know, it's just, it fits with their characters. Like, you know, the scene beforehand is you don't get a chance to rest because you got a phone call coming in as soon as you walk in the door, you get the fuck out and get something to eat and then do your work, you know, like yes. it's, um, just, yeah, it just, 
speaks to the characters and their lifestyles, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, uh, you writing, you being a dad, you producing something, working weird hours, things. It's like, sometimes you just got to eat. Like you're not going to yeah. be able to do it like in, 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 in the manner that you want to have like a leisurely meal. It's like, I'm going to eat on the fly. I got to feed myself and I'm going to move on to the next thing. No, exactly right, man. Like I get up at five thirty most mornings, get into, so I live outside of Adelaide. Um, or you catch a bus for about an hour. Um, get in, normally get like a bacon and egg roll for breakfast. <laughs> write script for about an hour before I start work and then I get home by oh, quarter to seven or something like that. And, um, and yeah, it's just kids and, you know, stuff straight away and kids and bath times and bedtimes and, and, yeah, and, all those and then, you know, and then started all again the next day, but you know, it's, it's worth it. You know, like I'm trying to transition into, into film. So you gotta, gotta put the work in. You got to do the hours, man. I think that these guys, when they saw this case, they're writing metropolitan beat work. You know, this is them right at the beginning of their career, and this all-consuming thing drives the rest of their lives. You know, Bernstein goes off and you know works for other publications and continues to be a bit of a how would I say this politely, but like and nicely is like he's like a blustery, no BS guy for the rest of his career. Woodward kind of becomes a bit of an establishment guy, but still has this uncanny thing for the rest of his career to like interview people and get these amazing candid interviews, including 18 hours of Donald Trump's to feed his latest book, Rage. Um, oh, which, uh, you know, like, um, yeah, he's, he's still sort of out there doing the thing, but yeah, the, I, I think, um, if anyone watching this thing had an affinity for just the pursuit um, and the work and putting in that consistent amount of work, it must be, um, it must be you who's doing the thing, <laughs> who's, who's commuting for an hour, who's probably riding when you're on the bus and then getting to work and then riding and then um, racing home and then being a dad and all that sort of stuff. It's uh yeah, like that's, I think that's the, sort of very inspirational quality that I find always in this movie of like, just keep doing the damn thing. Just keep yeah. doing it because part of it is the doing it and showing up every day to be there and keep pushing it further and further and further. Absolutely. You know, like the payoff, the payoff is such a small thing. It's the work that goes into the payoff is, you know, is, is what we want to see and what we want to be able to experience as audience. And, you know, the payoff's great because they get the story. But yeah, it's um, seeing all the hard work and really validates a lot of, you know, validates a lot of people's lives in terms that they work hard and there's, there's often payoff. So that's what you got to do to get that payoff. And it's a bit of a, it's like a flimsy payoff in the in the nicest possible way. As in, obviously this obviously this is a huge payoff, right? Uh, you know the significance of these guys' work, but the focus of the movie is like history happened. Nixon resigns. Their stories obviously contributed. What makes them special? They're not superheroes. You know, it was not Robert Redford's intention necessarily to like lionize them, even though in some ways it did. And you know, it's just the reading of the movie and. You make a you make a movie about journalists where the journalist is Robert Redford. I mean, you or I would equally happily be cast 
as Robert, a young Robert Redford in anything, you know, if a, a story about our lives, it doesn't matter that you're an indigenous bloke. It doesn't matter that I'm like, a, I'm, I'm got European background and hairy as it gets. It's just like, if you got that man that beautiful to play, you fine. I'll take it. You know, the magic of cinema. Um, but one of the things I find on this all the time is I don't really, maybe it's me as an individual, but I think it's a lot of people who probably listen to the show. I don't, I don't look at this movie for the payoff ever. I'm always in for the work. And I think that that's what, you know, like you said, it's like you need to be able to find the passion in the doing and not necessarily getting to the goalpost because so many of us who, you know, you writing or whatever, like you will complete a script and you'll finish it and it might sell and it might get made into a great movie, but you're not going to go, cool. I got that one movie made. I guess I'll finish that up now. It's like, it will be like, you'll move on to the next thing or the next script or, you know, it might you know, it'll be one or two or 10 before the 10th one gets made and then others and you'll still be working on new stuff. And it's just that finding that love in the task, in the work, I think is um, what keeps getting me about this movie and about, about these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they, they do love it. You know, there's a, there's an obvious passion that they have for it. You know, it's not, you wouldn't do it if you didn't like it. And, you know, that's, Clearly, I mean, back then, what well, there's no internet, so there's papers that all that is. So you, you, you probably can go to sports or you can go to, you know, like entertainment or something like that. But you know, you're an investigative reporter. You know, you want to you want to be able to find shit out. <laughs> yes. That's um, that's why they do it. That's not because <laughs> they want money. You know, it's just I think any any artist and it's still in its artistry in a sense. Um, you know, no artist really does it for the money itself i mean no money comes sometimes but yeah you you do it because you fucking love it yes and what's nice is that in these couple of moments we get to see them loving it and for folks without i mean i'm impossible i would imagine spoiling it for anyone because i don't think anyone's literally watching it a minute at a time i think most people have seen it if they're listening to this show is um you i love that we've talked about you doing it because you love it. And in these moments, they love it. Like they are in the zone and it's been so many slammed doors and dead ends. And it's taken a lot of zigzagging. Like it's the most detours on this thing. It's not a straight line. It is just this winding bramble that they've been following and picking up these little, um, you know, one of our last guests, Ingu Kang coined a beautiful phrase where she said like, that, you know, making consolations out of random dots, which I think is very much the pattern of how these guys discover stuff. But it's like at this moment, they're loving it. Like they're like, yes, we're onto it. Like we're, we're starting to like these little things are coming together and like these little cracks are appearing and it's not, they're not, well, sorry, they're no longer little cracks. They're big cracks. Like these big gaping holes in their story are starting to come through. More people are coming forward, but they're kind of on the precipice of their own, you know, massive error, their own, you know, massive, you know, a, a source doing a pu- very public backflip. So it's this nice part of the movie where we're in just this lovely, beautiful mindset, eating our fries and being happy that it's starting yeah. to all come together. But it is also, you know, I think with every great moment of, re- you know, with every great moment that they get through and they break through, it's, um, there's a beautiful setback waiting. And I think it's just like, if you could just take, Take each breakthrough as you take each setback. I think it's, it's, it's almost like a life lesson every single time watching these guys get the door, next door slammed in their face, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it is, you know, it's almost sad watching how many how many things get in their way. You know, <laughs> like so yeah. many obstacles and and you know, and we feel that as an audience as much as their characters do. That's one thing I really loved about is their characters are along for the ride as much as we are. Like mm, mm. You know, every every door that doesn't open, you know, we're like, what's next? And they're like, and they're like, what's next? You know? <laughs> yes. Like, where, where can we go from here? You know, it's sort of that, that cool sort of movie. It doesn't happen often, you know, like, um, you know, genre films, you know, that you know, action, for example, most of the audience knows where it's going. Yes. You know, we know exactly where it's going. I know where every Van Damme movie's going. It doesn't matter <laughs> which one it is. Um, you know, so just They're that. all going to the Kumite. All roads lead to the Kumite, yeah, basically. Yeah, that's it, man. It's all tournaments, you know, like. <laughs> There's a tournament somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, or, you know, when we know their characters, we know everything about all these action movies and thrillers and stuff because that's, you know, that's why they're genre films in a sense. Um, you know, but these ones, you know, these characters are different, man. They're, on, they're along for the ride like we are. And it's just, yeah, it's great to see. Yeah, I think, I think you nail something so essential that I probably hasn't been put that way, but it's like there is something so good about um there's something so good but it's also like it depends on the person but it's cool that you're that, that kind of person as well but it is fun where they don't know where they're going because you know it would suck if they were all like oh i had a case like this and it all worked out in the end or whatever i'll just keep following it like the, mm. the whole follow the money mantra like they've got the outlook like we just need to keep following the money because that's helping us down the path but it's it's it is not a straight line and so many times they're like, and I love a couple of times where in the movie where they're like, what, what do we do now? We've just gone through this whole list of people and no one wants to talk to us. And they're like, we'll do the whole list again. And like, it's like someone has, something has to give, right? And it's like, cause they don't know what to do. And so I think that that's, there is a beauty in that, but you just nailed it. I think you just synthesized what it is. It's like they're on the ride as much as we are. And maybe that's one of those real sort of secret sources of this movie is that it's so cool to watch them get better at their job and watch them love the job and watch them then like bite down on each setback. Like, cause okay, we got to, we got the next thing, but it's also like there is a fun when they're still convincing on the first or the hundredth time through that they don't know where the hell this thing's going. Yeah. That's it. You know, they several times, you know, they're just conversing about what the hell's going on. You know, like what, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, credit to obviously obvious credit to Hoffman and Redford because without without their like fantastic performances, it's when you know you don't you wouldn't pull that off. You know, it's I think it takes a special kind of uh, actor to really be able to you know get across what they got across in terms of their their excitement for their jobs, but also their frustration and stuff like that. But no, they just really really pulled it off. Well, look. Thank you, mate, for taking the time out of screenwriting and culture writing and dadding based on your current timetable to record this. Um, so I just want to say, Trav, a huge thank you. It's been great to chat to you on the show. It's awesome to hear. Um, uh, it's awesome to hear that you enjoyed it uh, for your first time, and it's fun that I get to talk to a first-time person talking about it. But uh, um, keep those screenwriter secret source insights going best of luck with the upcoming productions and everything and uh, just a huge thanks yeah. for being a part of the show mate no we're good thank you very much 
Big thank you to my incredible guest, Trav Akbar. You can find him on Twitter at, at Trav Akbar, which is T-R-E-V-A-K-B-A-R. Um, he writes for places, as I said, like The Curb, SBS Movies, NITV, Indigenous X. His website is darkbeforedawn.com.au. It's his budding production company, so check him out there. Guys, thank you so much for listening to all the President's Minutes. We have a stacked lineup this week. We've got two more shows that are going to happen before the result of the American election, which is kind of insane. Um, so, you know, expect uh, tonal differences, but it's been a, an incredible journey of discussing the show up until this point. And the threat of, you know, the Constitution and the history of the United States is the stakes of this film. And hence why we are watching with bated breath um, to see what America does in the upcoming election, because I think it'll be a tonally drastically different show. Thank you for your support. Please rate and review the show. If you can support us, go to Patreon forward slash one here minute. Lots of bonus stuff. You can support us for as little as $3 a month. We'd be hugely appreciative. We'll catch you on the next episode tomorrow. Thanks for listening.